0: All right, Josh Smith here at my studio, live from Flat 5. Today, my guest is a newer friend, but he's already been invaluable. Uh, He's always there with, like, encouraging words and a lot of advice. And I would say not just as a guitar player and musician, he's become one of the premier, I think, educators on any subject in the world. Um, He's just a tremendous guy, a tremendous musician uh, with an incredible career and education and music production and performance he really knows his shit and uh, when I need inspiration in the last three years the first place I go is to look at his channel and just anything pretty much any video I'll pull up will give me some sort of inspiration and it's a a pleasure to talk to him today Uh, Rick Beato thanks dude thank you for doing this
1: thanks Josh and I just so everybody knows I paid Josh to say that
0: (laughs) Exactly. He actually wrote it out for me. I got it last night in the email. Uh, dude, so I've been asking everybody, because I'm so curious for guitar players especially, how they got their start. You know, some people have musical families, some don't, some it's a brother or a best friend. I, I lucked out. My dad just brought a guitar home randomly. He was not a musician, but he, he wanted a, a musician in the family, I guess. Uh, how did I know you played cello, but how did the guitar first get in your hands? Well, my mom's dad
1: played guitar, and uh, so, so I was always around guitars as a little kid. But um, when I was in seventh grade, um, I broke my ankle for first day of summer, seventh grade. And my, my one of my brothers, I have four brothers, had bought this guitar for a dollar, this really cheap acoustic called a Global and i couldn't do anything cuz i couldn't walk on this cast it was a really bad break and i was stuck for 13 weeks um laid up for the entire summer so there i had a chord book and an acoustic guitar and i just started playing that's it
0: wow and what kind of music were were, were you already into music like were there things you were fans of or was it just what your parents listened to
1: no no so since so i've got six siblings I'm the second youngest, so they all listen to different things. My my uh my older sisters listened to the Beatles and the Stones, things like that. Then i I mean, my brother and sister listened to everything. Hendrix, uh, Zeppelin, the Allman brothers. I mean, all everyone had different styles of music that they liked. And we had a very small house and and everybody had their own little cassette players or stereos and everything. So we all listened to our own our own music, but we was you know, we were influenced by a lot of different things and I started you know I I grew up in this I was born in 62 so I was influenced by things late 60s early 70s and yeah. you know
0: yeah. so. So then what was the first thing that really grabbed you and just like totally set the hook like you know you couldn't believe how great this was? I um, well the
1: first thing I learned to play really was Hey Joe and yeah. I, ah. yeah. that was the first uh, that's one of the first songs I learned to. Well, the first song I learned to play was this America song called "Never Found the Time." But then I, yeah. I started. Um, one, one of the benefits of starting on the cello is I had chops already. So once I learned chords, I could already I could play single notes. So when it came to playing scales or riffs, I had all the coordination mm-hmm. to play things. Uh, but the, some of the things that were weird are bending notes because obviously on the cello you do a lot of slides. But um, so I had to get used to that but and I love that I loved playing lead guitar that was that was really really fun um yeah and and playing songs for your friends I mean that was the thing it's like how many different cover songs do you know people would just oh do you know this do you know that you know this you know that so I I learned as many songs as I could
0: so when when do you start like uh, getting together with friends and you know the whole garage band thing or or just playing you know playing with other people that was pretty
1: much within about six months or so. Wow. I, yeah, I, had a, um, I ran into a kid at a music store that uh, was a drummer. His name was Andy. And um, his brother was in a, his older brother was in the, a rock band that was a great high school rock band. And um, so he gave me a cassette. He said, let's start a band. And I said, uh, okay. And he made a cassette of nine cover songs that we were going to, that he wanted me to learn. I said, what do you, what do you, what do you mean learn? I said, he said, just listen to him and figure him out. And it was like aqua lung. <laughs> um, it was uh don't take me alive. Steely Dan with Larry Carlton. Oh, it was uh, long distance run around um, all these weird, just random songs. Some that were really difficult. Uh, Wouldn't want to be like you, Alan Parsons, something like that. Just, just, ra- just random songs. But, so I'm figuring out Larry Carlton guitar solos and, and uh, <clears throat> I went over to his house and his older brother, who's a really good guitar player, um, heard me start to play these things. He's like, how'd you figure that out? I said, I just listened to it. So anyways, are you
0: 12 basically then seventh grade, something 13, like that? 12, 13. 13. Yeah. Wow. So, so you guys start getting together. Did you find a bass player quickly or something?
1: Yeah. 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 We start playing and, and, uh, Uh, we, we, you know, did a couple gigs, went through a a few different um, variations of the band and, um, started playing probably around ninth grade or so. We're, We're doing more gigs. And then, uh, I, you know, I played sports a lot, so I didn't have as much time. I kept getting, I was into sports, but then I kept getting more and more serious about, about music. And I was just obsessed with the guitar. And then I switched from cello to upright bass which I ended up uh, finishing and I started, I actually started that in seventh grade. And then I did my undergrad in in, uh, in classical bass, so.
0: man, that's, uh, I mean, having music in school like that, so many people younger than me that I've talked to already had absolutely zero music in their school. Like no jazz band, no, no nothing, you know? And I, I did have music in my school. I'm probably like one of the last generation where it was just mandatory. Uh, I mean, that, don't you think that's an enormous benefit?
1: Yes, we had eleven full-time faculty, music faculty in our d- school district. Um, so we had a sixty-piece orchestra, sixty-piece wind ensemble, concert band, jazz band, marching band. Pri- everyone had private lessons. Hundreds of kids in, in the music program, and everyone yeah. had private lessons. And then everybody took lessons outside of school too. So.
0: And you're you're in Ithaca, right?
1: I was in Rochester.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's a big town, but it's not New York city or something. This was all across America, every place. I I mean, it's unbelievable how how somehow that's just disappeared. Uh, so when, when does uh, the transition go into like paying gigs and that feeling of getting that first, you know, 50 bucks shoved in your pocket?
1: I started uh, making money on gigs in high school. Definitely. Yeah. And you got it. So, I played bars in high school because the drinking age was 18 and nobody, that wasn't even a thing. So they, it was, there was never a thing like, Oh, if you're underage, you can't go play at a bar. Nobody ever, this is in the seventies, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that was not a thing. Nobody ever checked. Nobody cared if you were underage and you were playing in a band, you just go in, you load in, do sound check and play your gig, you get paid. And that was it. You know,
0: and what'd your parents think about that?
1: Oh, they loved it. <laughs> my parents loved loved music, and they were incredibly supportive of everything I did musically. That's They wanted one of their kids to be a musician at least. Because
0: so. I was lucky in that way. You know, I started playing, yeah, at clubs like that when I was 12 and 13. But by then, I couldn't – I mean, I had to be there with my parents. Plus, I looked like a midget. You know, I was a very small <laughs> little kid, uh, so I couldn't have been allowed in there without at least one of them. But, yeah, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be – at the the same time when I was playing those gigs, just to go by myself at 15 or 16 or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, we always went, but we went by ourselves all the time. Never even thought about it.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Well, I mean, it sounds like you were kind of already, you know, you had played cello and upright bass. You could read and you were learning, teaching yourself, Larry Carlton solos and stuff like that. When did you get into straight ahead jazz for the first time? What was like the first thing you heard that just blew you away? Um, well, I when I was
1: 15, my dad bought me Joe Pass Virtuoso. Okay. My dad was a huge jazz fan and he loved Joe Pass. It was his favorite guitar player. And um he gave me that record and he said, "If you ever learn to play guitar like this, you've accomplished something with your life." And my dad worked for the railroad. He was a very he was a blue collar, you know, both my parents. My mom worked in a factory, at, but my dad loved jazz and I remember looking at the record, Josh, for a couple of months. I didn't even open it up. And then one day I opened it up, I put it on, I started listening to it, and I said, Wow, this is amazing. So I figured out one of the tunes on there, All the Things You Are, and I played it for my dad. I played like the first two minutes of it for my dad when he got home from work, and he said, How did you figure that out? <laughs> I just listened to it.
0: <laughs> wow. Man, that, so it was it was Joe Pass not Charlie Parker or, you know, Dizzy or Miles or something. It was guitar. It had to be guitar. It was guitar. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, really because he bought me that, but my dad, but we listen to jazz all the time. I also had a guy, Josh, whose lawn I mowed. He lived about two blocks away from me. Um, And I didn't, his name was Tom Rizzo and he owned a store, T Rizzo Music. And he was a great jazz guitar player. He's still, he's still, still around. He, he ended up, Selling the store, um, they had probably five or six jazz guitar teachers there, and they were the best guitar players in Rochester. And Tom went on to play with Maynard Ferguson. He played on The Tonight Show. Oh, he was one of the, he was a, an amazing – still, I mean, still around. He's an amazing guitar player. And he um, – I started taking lessons from him when I was about 15, 16 or so. And um, so that was another thing. You know, jazz is really big up in Rochester, and it was in the 70s. Everybody – there were so many great jazz musicians so it was it was very common to play you know you just learned charlie parker tunes you just learned standards and played gigs with people
0: yeah yeah that's crazy uh, another thing i'm i'm always curious about so you're coming up you know getting your hands on the guitar late 60s so you're hearing hendrix and cream and beatles and and all that stuff and and, and everybody and their brother is buying a guitar in the whole yep. country at at that time and it's like yeah you can't help but like walk out onto your block and find three guys who just bought a guitar or a bass or a drum and make friends it must have been incredible at that time when it was just everybody wanted to play music you know even if it was it didn't last they all tried that that's unbelievable
1: yeah there was uh, i everybody i knew had a guitar took guitar lessons or piano lessons or something everybody i knew played played instruments that's and so insane. many people played guitars man it was just you know to start a band, you could, there were bass players, drummers, guitar players everywhere.
0: See, and that's what drove me to go play with adults because I couldn't find anyone my age who was into it at all, especially not like jazz and blues. Like, I could find nobody who was into what I was into. You know, and I, I played sports too, and all my friends were from that. I had no music friends, you know, and yeah, it was really, yeah, it's amazing how quickly that changed. You get through the 80s and it's over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're gigging, you're, you're making money, you go to college for upright bass, right? Um, what, what happens when you graduate college? Do you think you're going to be a professor right away or or performance guy? Get, you know, what, what's your plan at that moment? So I, I
1: finished my undergrad and I got a music ed major with my classical bass and then I went to, to New England Conservatory and got a jazz guitar degree Okay. And as soon as I finished that, I was like, okay, I'm going to move to New York City and be a jazz guitar player. But then I got offered this teaching job, teaching at Ithaca College in upstate New York. And then, so I ended up doing that for five years. And uh, and that was unplanned. I just, the, my old guitar teacher, because I had done my undergrad there. My old guitar teacher, Steve, said, we opened up a position. We want you to be, uh, to teach on the jazz faculty. Basically, the jazz faculty was he and I. We taught all the all the jazz courses, so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, well, I'll try this out for a couple of years. I ended up doing it for, for five years,
0: but it wasn't something you had, you had, you know, written down like, Oh, I'm going to go into teaching right away. You know?
1: No, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like YouTube, like did into YouTube <laughs> right. just started it's, it. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed teaching was, um, I enjoyed it for the first four years or so. And then. As I got in my later 20s, my – you start noticing – I started noticing around 1991, so I taught from 87 to 92. Around 91, students started coming in, and they were complaining about stuff. Oh, Rick is too hard of a teacher and all this. And it was just a different – it was like something changed, and all the students just became – would complain about stuff you couldn't and the dean would be like well don't be so you know don't be so hard on the students blah 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 and just stuff that never happened before you know uh-huh. and uh, um and then i i kind of had enough of it after that i i um well that wasn't really the reason that i left i left because i got a publishing deal and right. um, but um but i was you know after a while it was great i mean being a college professor was really fun but uh I, I couldn't have done it for a whole career no way
0: right okay so you talked about you, you left cuz you got a publishing deal were you writing always as a kid were you always writing or when did when did that become like a real you know inspiration and something you wanted to do a lot and when did it become like oh i should focus on this you know i, I can make money off of this
1: well i wrote um i wrote songs in my high school bands so we we uh did. Yeah, so we had original songs. Um so I always kind of wrote music on my own and then um then I started playing with some people in Ithaca outside you know when I was a professor and uh one of the guys I was writing with we ended up get, getting a publishing deal with Polygram at the time. And that's what actually why I left my teaching gig because I got uh we got a publishing advance and and uh, so I did songwriting, so starting around ni- ninety two is when
0: I left, so And what's that feeling like, like when someone on a major label covers you know your song for the first time, and it's like, you know, justified, I guess the being a professional songwriter, because I mean, that's a decision like to get up every day, write songs, to make that your job, like it it is like that's you got to want to do that,
1: yeah, you know it's it was really fun writing songs, but, um, you know, I stopped, uh, the last time I did a songwriting session was in 2006, uh, 2015, I think 2016, I, I was going up to Nashville. Um, I had a, a country song a number one country song in 2000 at, beginning of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I was going up to Nashville for, I'm in Atlanta. I was going up there about, um, about three, four days a month. And uh, and writing with all the top writers up there. And it was fun. The guys were so fun to write with. But after a while, it's if you don't live in Nashville and and that was really the only feasible thing, because at that time, by, by 2016, there was no there were no rock bands to write for anymore. Because I did I wrote with a lot of bands up yeah. until then that I produced. Then it was like you had to move to country music for writing if you played guitar and you wrote songs that were guitar based. So, um, and then it, I didn't want to move to Nashville. So I, 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 well, I started my YouTube channel, honestly. And that's, that's what, uh, that's when I stopped going up doing songwriting sessions, honestly.
0: Well, when you, when you started the channel, did you think it would be like something you would have to spend this much time on? It would become basically your job or was it something for fun when you initially started it?
1: Well, I would do my, I st- most of my videos at the beginning of my channel for the first year, I was doing it at night after my sessions. So I just would pull out my iPhone and make make a video and then be half asleep when I'm editing it, put it up. Then I'd realize I had a bunch of mistakes in it in the morning, I'd take it down, I'd fix it, and I'd put it back up again. That was my da- daily thing. You know, somebody would call me and say, what's up with your video? It's like you walked out of the room and walked back in, you have a bad edit in there. It's like, what? And I, I look at it, it'd be like three minutes of, nothing, of, of just the empty chair there. Oh, man. <laughs> so, take it down, put it back up, you know.
0: Well, you you talked a little bit about producing. I mean, you've produced a lot of records. Did you ever think that was something you would even want to get into, or did you just fall into it?
1: I kind of fell into that, too, because I had a buddy of mine that asked me to come over to his house. Uh, he was working on a, a record um, with his band, they're based out of here called the tender idols. And, um, and they asked me to come over and just stop over and check out what they were doing. And then I ended up helping out on this one song. I said, you know, they asked me my opinion. I said, well, I think the verse melody should do this. And if you sang this and then you should go to here in the chorus and everything. So then they said, well, why don't you produce the record? And I said, okay. And I started that. And, uh, it's interesting because that band, so I worked with them on their first record. Then I played with them for a little bit. I filled in as their bass player. And then I um, uh, produced their second record. And Dave Cobb was in the band. I don't know if you know Dave Cobb, yeah, the he's producer.
0: A big producer. He used to be yeah. out here and now he's in Nashville. Yeah.
1: Dave's an old, old friend of mine. And he was, uh, I knew Dave before he was even in that band. And he had another band he was in before that. And, and um but that was Dave's band. That was one. Dave was in the Tender Idols, and uh, they were like a Brit pop band, and and so that was the first band I produced. It was in about ninety five or so, and um, and then I really, uh, you know, I started doing more and more records. And by ninety nine, it was from ninety nine till two thousand sixteen. It was, you know, six days a week. Yeah. You know, hundreds of records I produced.
0: Uh, You know, having not said, so I have some experience with this. It's a new thing for me the last five years. Mm -hmm. I've produced probably five records a year other than my own for other artists. And it was something I never had any interest in doing. But all of a sudden, I quickly fell in love with it. And I realized how much of a better musician it made me and how much it impacted my own playing and music. Did you feel that way right away, kind of?
1: Yes, absolutely. You learn about arrangement. Uh, about parts, you learn about parts with all different instruments. Uh, I mean, for me, the big thing was the engineering and uh, and mixing part that, that I was really fascinated by. That was probably the most fun uh, element of it because I love engineering and, and mixing and um
0: and, and no. did you have any experience, like were you into that at all before that, you know, where to put the mic on your amp or any, did you care at all about any of those? Never things? cared. And
1: i had been in studios so many times, Josh, I never paid attention. People would get sounds and you know, you'd say, oh, I don't like that sound, you know, it's yeah, this, yeah. it's that, yeah. you know, but I didn't have, I didn't know. Okay. It's boxy take out one K or it's,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and then when I started engineering myself, then it take, you take it to a different level of listening. And and yep. that was really fun.
0: Yeah, I when I first moved here to LA and started doing sessions, first it took me a minute to even figure out like how much what gear I needed to bring because I'd never done anything but my own music. So I had to learn how to, you know, do what people were asking me. But then I, I went once with Mike Landau to a session and I saw he not only did he bring his rack and his own Mike Prees and everything, he brought his own fifty-seven because he was certain of how that one sounded. And right. he would not let anybody place it on the amp. He, he might, And it was like, wait a minute. So I started asking questions, you know, like, why are you doing that? Why, why you put it right there on the speaker? Like, and it was, it was like, yeah, I need to pay more attention to this stuff. And the, my my personality is, okay, if I get excited about anything, then I become obsessive and I'm going to, you know, go as fully down the rabbit hole as I can.
1: Yeah, that's, I, I just, you know, for me, even to this day, um, I, 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 like my video, the videos that I do where there's engineering involved or production stuff are the most fun for, for me to make, even though I don't make that many of those, but, uh, but those are the ones that, uh, that I really have fun making.
0: That's cool, man. And I mean, I got to ask, so, so now that you're, you know, in the throes of this juggernaut, is it, is it super rewarding like, do you do you really get that 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 feeling of of like you do from writing a song from doing all of all of what you're doing now?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's very fun. It's um, uh, you know, some of the people that that I've gotten to meet because of this, like yourself. I just interviewed Joe Satriani that a video I put out yesterday. I've interviewed Steve Vai and John Petrucci, and you know, I mean, all my guitar player guys, Peter Frampton. You know, yeah, Robin, Steven,
0: Eric Johnson. I've seen them all.
1: Exactly. Robin, Eric Johnson, Larry Carlton, Frank Ambali, yeah. you know, Victor Wooten, Dennis Chambers, uh, Gary Husband. I've interviewed, you know, Vinny Calhuda. Yeah, uh, you know, um, that is amazing too. That part of it is to getting to, to meet. I mean, some of the people I, you know, I've known Vinny for 35 years or so, but, uh, but a lot of these guys, you know, I met Joe was on, um, I was on my Instagram, on Instagram live last week. Just Joe appeared in the chat and asked a question. And I was like, Joe, I want to interview you. I'm going to (laughs) write you after this. I messaged him. We set it up and we did it the other day. So there you go.
0: That is one of the great things about social media. It's like, you know, it's also one of the drawbacks, but it is, it's really easy to get a hold of somebody. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I had one question. Now, you know, you're a family man, and everybody's seen the videos of you and your son working on ear training, which is ridiculously amazing. I just was wondering, I have a, you know, 15-year-old son who's never had any interest, and I wonder, did, did Dylan or your kids, did they come to you pushing you for music? Was it something you guys just decided on? I'm always curious about that with kids.
1: Well, with Dylan, I just, I played music for him when you know when he was a baby, even before I was born, and he so he had these abilities. I realized that he had perfect pitch when he was three or so. So I started teaching him about music and telling him how to you know how chords were constructed, scales, modes, all these different things. Uh, but he's not that interested in music. Although I just heard him; he's practicing his oboe uh, a little while ago for his band class, uh, virtual band class. But right. uh, you know. He started playing guitar recently. Uh, and my youngest Layla, she's seven, she played, she's taken violin lessons. And my daughter Lennon, who's 11, she's taking guitar lessons and stuff. So they're, they like music, but they're not, they're not like I was. And, and I'm sure like you were as a kid. It's just not, music doesn't occupy the same space that it did because there's way too many. Uh, things that kids can do for passive entertainment now that uh, that you didn't have before. Well,
0: it's always interesting to me, too, like, you know, you see sons or or daughters of professional athletes go on to follow in their footsteps and become professional, or musicians, but like my son, he hates, whenever he's anywhere where it's my thing, like at at a show or something where it's my event, inevitably the first question when anybody meets him is, oh, do you play guitar like your dad? And he can't stand that question, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I, it, I think it pushed him even further away from it. Yeah.
1: It's tough with kids, man. They, they um, you know, they don't want to do anything that that their uh, that their parents do. At least now, they, you know, kids nowadays. It was very common though when I was growing up that that uh, that parents would have kids. You know, parents would be musicians, kids would be musicians. That was very common. I don't find that as
0: much anymore. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's get into the ten questions. Shoot. Here we go. Number one, when you first started learning, you already said, Hey Joe, but really what what was the first thing just that you heard that was so great, you know, you, you it there was no turning back. Like you got it under your fingers and you were so impressed with yourself that it's like, I can't believe I figured this out. You know, that you know that feeling.
1: Yeah. Um honestly, I think what when, when I <laughs> I think when I figured out that don't take me alive solo that I couldn't believe I figured that out.
0: That's a great, I mean, yeah, that's a great one. Uh, I mean,
1: that's kind of a weird solo to, to figure out too, because it has so many um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's just a really uh, complex solo. And
0: yeah,
1: and I knew so many musicians. It was a different thing because so many people played guitar really well where I was growing up. And to impress them, you had to play – I mean, you had to be able to play things that – or figure out things that other people couldn't do just to kind of get any recognition at all.
0: When that guy gave you the t- tape with that on there, were you hip to Steely Dan at all yet? Or was that the first Steely Dan you heard?
1: No, no, no. I'd, I'd heard him because Kid Charlemagne was on the radio. and, okay. and I, I mean, I knew do it, do it Again and all the songs from the first okay. record came out in 72. So
0: did you know who Larry was or you just thought that was a guitar player in the band?
1: I knew who Larry was because oh, wow. I, I, I got the, yeah. Cause I had the Royal scam record. This is the thing. Everybody, when I was growing up, my oldest sister, she's, she's not a musician at all. She's 67. She knows who Larry Carlton is and has Larry Carlton records. She's not even a musician at all. And and people back then, it was very common to know all the session players it's really it's 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 interesting because everybody looked at at records everybody knew steve lukather they knew jay grady they knew they knew all the guitar players that played with steely dan all the musicians the drummers the bass players everybody everybody knew them
0: wow bernard
1: purdy whoever it didn't matter you just knew all these people
0: yeah i wish that was still the case <laughs> <laughs> well that that probably answers number two, which is what is the first solo you you learned note for note? Was that the first one you ever learned? No, Hey
1: Joe was the first solo I learned note for note.
0: Yeah. And you you could sing it for the rest of your life. You know, like you'll never forget that solo ever. Ugh. But my
1: mom, I always tell the story, Josh. My mom, I, my younger brother, John, plays guitar. He's a very good guitar player. And he's been playing right since I, as soon as I picked up guitar, he started playing within a, a few weeks. And uh-huh. he still plays. He play, plays in cover bands, Anyways, but i learned uh, i learned hey Joe and then i 'd solo over or he, he i would play chords for him, and then he would solo and then it would be my turn to solo and he'd put his guitar down and we'd get in a fight so so finally my mom got fed up with it she 's like i 'll play chords for you so my mom would play hey Joe the rhythm part on guitar my old mom she's like what are the chords it'd be like e g d a and and she and or uh, c g d a e and She's like, okay, no problem. And my mom would strum along and play it, and I would play lead to it.
0: Wow. See, now that's that's killer. Your mom comped for you because your brother wouldn't do it.
1: Right. I mean, she just got sick, Josh, of, of us fighting over it. She's like, I'll just play chords for you, okay?
0: And and so he just – you would always play for him, and he just wouldn't play for you.
1: Yeah. It would, <laughs> I would play rhythm for him. For five minutes, he'd play a solo. And yeah. it's like my turn, and then he'd put his guitar down, and then we fight with <sighs> each other and –
0: Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. All right. What's the first thing you play when you pick up a guitar every day? Is there somewhere your hands just go?
1: Well, I usually play a G or a D chord to make sure my, to make, to check to see if the guitar is in tune or not. Mm -hmm. I usually play both those chords and, uh, and see if it's, uh, if it's in tune with itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what (laughs) about like, if you're in a music store or something, or someone hands you a guitar to check out, do you have like a little thing that you, you know, that's yours that lets you know if you even like this guitar? You have to try to see if it's it's doable. No, I won't.
1: I don't play in music stores anymore because uh, <laughs> I don't dare. I just kind of uh, will, will pull up, pull out a guitar. I'll just kind of check it out a little bit. And then if I like it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I don't plug in and play at music stores anymore. I think but I think about a-
0: that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it used to be something I did weekly without question most yeah. of my life, and now, yeah, it's not as much a thing anymore. Yeah, mostly they just don't have anything there. I I really have any interest in checking out, anyways.
1: No, that's really honestly what it is. There's almost n- there's never any good instruments at, at music stores anymore. Very few, at least here in Atlanta, there isn't.
0: Really, yeah. Um. Okay. So then, what? Key style song, groove, something do you have something that plays on a loop like for me i'm I'm hearing some sort of shuffle or swing, you know, like Charlie Parker in my head, mostly twenty four hours a day, some I just hear that all the time, it never goes away. Do you have something that always kind of comes and goes
1: um You know, I always tell people that I never, unless I, I actually am playing, I don't ever think about music. Really? Yeah, and that's not that's. It's funny. I think about music, but I don't hear music in my head because a lot of people are like, "How do you go to sleep after you've been working on a song all day?" And I said, "I just put it out of my mind."
0: That's see. That's I can't do that. I get in bed, and it's like I, I almost have to, especially if I've been improving. I almost have to like finish the solo before I can turn off and get to bed. Like in my head, I have to run it over and finish it, you know? Yeah, it's weird.
1: But I didn't used to be like that. It's it's a, it's a function of, of being 58 now. And and you, uh, when I was younger, I used to be like that. I used to always have solos going on in my head constantly.
0: And when you listen, I've been curious about this just in general. When you listen to music, like if you're in the car and, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire comes on or something, just whatever, anything is on the radio, what what is going? What happens first? Are you analyzing or are you humming an improv over the the changes? You know, because that's I'm that's immediately I go to counterpoint of the melody or just playing a solo in my head over whatever. It could be Britney Spears. It doesn't matter. You know.
1: Well, if it's Earthwind and Fire, I'm I'm getting mad because I can't do what makes this song great because they'll block the video. <laughs> and I'll just be thinking, God, oh, I want to do Earthwind and Fire so bad.
0: Oh yeah crazy all right (laughs) was there ever a moment when you felt like as an improviser you started to find your voice on the instrument and was it like noticeable where oh I found something here that kind of is in my own lane and I should go further this way
1: yeah when I was in my um when I was probably about 24 or so is when I when I started to to feel that I had uh, 24, 25 started to really have my own voice, I think. Um, I had kind of passed my transcription phase and all that, transcribing blues solos, fusion solos, jazz solos, uh, you know. And um, and then I started to play my own style of my the synthesis of everything I'd kind of put together and started playing things I liked the sound of that were my personality.
0: And was there, was there a, a technique or something that, or, you know, a, a something that came out that kind of triggered, like, like was new and you, you kind of recognized it, anything like that?
1: You know, I did, it's interesting. Cause because I learned Joe pass solos when I was a teenager, I did a lot of hybrid picking, right? Cause mm-hmm. the, the comping Joe would play later on. Joe played, but only with his fingers, but uh, you had to chord with your pick and then your fingers and then go into single notes. So, I started realizing, oh, the fingers you can actually play lines with, and everything. So then I started, and you didn't see that very often back then. You didn't see a lot of hybrid picking, and I played. I started playing a lot of linear things that were really difficult that had uh, string crossings, uh, and I and it was there were things that I didn't hear people do, and uh, at the time, you know, thirty years ago, thirty-five years ago, and that's when I really started to to feel like, oh, this is kind of my I have my voice. I play things that are unguitaristic.
0: Yeah. Well, in a similar way, hybrid picking is also a big part of me kind of feeling like maybe I've started to find what makes me me. And it was, it was like, I was already kind of obsessed with blues and done my history. And then I'd gotten into jazz and, and rock and roll and stuff. And, but then when I started like learning Danny Gatton and stuff and hybrid picking everything and bringing the technique in was when I felt like, Oh, the, this kind of does sound like me now. It's a mix of all these things, you know. And I, it was partially technique-driven, yeah, by by the hybrid picking thing. Yeah, interesting. All right, what, what do you consider your biggest weakness on guitar? Um, well,
1: I didn't practice for about twenty-five years, and I there's all these. You know, there's a lot of a lot of things that that I never things that people do, you, you know, that everybody does nowadays that I never really learned to do. I mean, I can't, I can't economy pick or do anything like that. I'm an alternate picker. Um, and th- those things are, um, it's things that I really wish that I had learned to do um, when I was younger. There's just, there's things that, that there are technical things that are, are almost impossible to learn when you're, an adult when you're, you know, pushing 60 years old that you wish that you could do easily, but you just, um, you know, it's hard to get that kind of hook those two things up, you know? So it's frustrating, honestly.
0: I I know the feeling. I mean, you know, it's like, man, if I had just put in the time when I had it and and, you know, there were no distractions and uh, it would have just happened quickly. And now it's, it's, it would be Herculean effort. To pull that off, that might not it's, even be doable.
1: It's very hard to change your technique once you've been playing for forty-five years or so. It's almost impossible.
0: Yeah, uh, dude. My my weakness is acoustic guitar, like like finger picking, pretty stuff. That's kryptonite for me. <laughs> but it was funny. Like yesterday, Tosin was over here, and we were just hanging out. And so I, did the, I just did the 10 questions with him. And I said, well, what's your biggest weakness? And he said, well, I, I can't improvise or play blues at all. You know, he's like, that's by far my biggest weakness. And so it's like, man, but he's got all these strengths that, again, like if I tried to do what he does, it would take me 40 years, you know, now. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Oh, uh, Who's a big influence on your guitar playing that people would be really surprised to hear? Hmm.
1: God, I think that I, I always think that my playing is so uh, it's obvious what my influences are. Um, um There's a guitar player, Joe DiOrio, that I was really into back, uh, you know, when I was in college who played a lot of intervallic. Uh, he's just alive. He's in his eight. I want to say he's probably 80 or so now, but, but he taught at GIT back in the, you know, in the eighties and, and, um, he was I had you know some of his records and his books and I loved his style of playing, the intervallic playing like that. And um yeah. so he was definitely somebody that that um that was influential. I mean the people wouldn't know probably they don't know Joe D'Organ. You know who you know who Joe is. I'm oh sure. yeah, I saw
0: Joe, so he was in Miami a lot in the nineties <laughs> and you know, that's where I grew up and he would play with Ira Sullivan, who just passed that's, away this week. Yeah. At the airport. They would play at the airport these gigs. And yeah, it would be like Ira Sullivan, Joe DiOrio, and a drummer. And Joe would be the only harmony, you know, and Ira would be just blowing his brains out. Right. Yeah. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah. And if you don't know Ira Sullivan, he was a South Florida legend, but you should look him up. (laughs)
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. Would you rather have a great guitar and a shitty amp or vice versa? a great amp and a bad guitar on a gig situation?
1: Boy, that's tough. God, I want to have a great guitar and amp. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, I can't course. get that.
0: Of course.
1: Um, well, you know, I've had really bad playing guitars, but had a great sound. So I would say that a great sounding amp with a bad playing guitar for sure i'm I'm 100
0: percent with you but it's been split down the middle 50 50 everybody's been been split but i know i can make the show better for the audience with whatever guitar and a tone that's happening versus vice versa yeah yeah the tone is
1: everything because the tone inspires everything that you play as far as i'm concerned
0: absolutely and and i always err on the side of what's going to give the audience the better show (laughs) and and my comfort level will be better with the better amp as opposed to the better guitar without question yeah Yeah. all right man what what keeps you like working on new shit and i mean i watch every day on instagram you post something you know you're practicing you're working on shit what keeps you so motivated to be learning new stuff and be better tomorrow than today because not everybody does um, I, I, uh, it's fun. If
1: I, you know, I would never, ever think of retiring or anything like that, you know, cause I love to, I love to practice. I love to play, play music. I love to play multiple instruments and, um, uh, you know, I wish I could just practice all the time and play and play gigs and things like that. Cause it's, it's, I just have so much fun playing. So, I look forward to coming down here now that I've made Instagram kind of a morning routine, right? Play something, put it out. Um, and, and that's kind of how I start my day. I think of an idea, I play it. It's weird how, how, for me, how different my chops are from day to day though. I have a lot of, um, I have arthritis in my hands and, and, uh, my wife and I were putting together this exercise thing and I was screwing all these things, using this ratchet set, and wrenches and everything. And, and I, and I was saying, God, my middle finger's killing me. My thumb's killing me, all this stuff. And then I came in today, I was like, my chops felt great. You know, <laughs> to yesterday I was like, Oh, I can't play anything. And today it felt like I could play anything. So it's, that's, that's the you, thing. It's like, is from day to day, how different for me it is.
0: Do you, so, uh, you spend any time worrying about that? Because I, I do, and it, it's probably silly, but you know, I I come and playing so young with adults, I I have now seen complete arcs of guys who were my idols, you know, who were in their thirties and for early forties when I heard them first, and now they're sixty and they can't play anymore, you know, and that's an like I can't let that happen to me, you know what I mean? Do you worry about that at all?
1: No. Well, um, I feel like. I know more now than I've ever known in my life, and uh, if I practice every day, my chops are the best that they've ever been. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I practice every day for, for, for a couple of weeks or so, even though I don't I don't always get to do that, but yeah. um, as long as you keep playing um, and keep learning new stuff, I I don't think that I, I don't uh, yeah I can't I can't see that happening honestly.
0: See, the, the learning new stuff to me, I think, is the key to keeping it up because there's a lot of guys who keep gigging, but they, ne- they just play the same thing for 40 years, and so the facility goes down, you know? Yes. And, but when you're pushing yourself to learn something new, it kind of stays, you know, you, you keep yeah. the facility. Yeah, that's, yeah, all right. I'm always learning
1: new stuff. or Actually, I'm, a lot of times I'm remembering stuff that I knew 30 years ago. I did an Instagram post the other day where I was like, well, what am I going to do today? And I was like, oh, half diminished arpeggios, moving up minor thirds. Because yeah, that would be something, because I'd have students, oh, I can't play over minor two fives. And I'd think, okay, what are, you, what are good, good things to do to show people that have a hard time? And I would come up with all these hacks, as people would call them today. So you get E half diminished, so play that arpeggio, then move it up a minor third and play that arpeggio. Yeah. And give me the altered notes and and then all of a sudden, I'd finally have students that could play over a minor two five mm-hmm. like thank god so any th- any little shortcut I could think of for people to kind of get in their brains um and and those kind of things I just remember every day it's a new new things I think about
0: well, it's amazing too you know uh, teaching or you know even just making videos and stuff like that. You know, I don't give lessons that often, but when I do, I, I come away from it. Like all of a sudden, it's not that I'm not playing that stuff already, but I don't think about it ever because you're just playing, you know, or just fucking improvising. So when you are forced to show it to somebody, it re-registers and then you find new stuff out of a really old thing that you already knew, which is great.
1: Well, Josh, you know, the thing, uh, you always learn more than the student when you're teaching a lesson.
0: Always, always. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh. All right, last question: uh, Do you have a five-year plan? Is it just keep growing what you're doing? Uh, do you want to get back out there gigging? Do you want to be back producing records? Like, what's what's the five-year plan for you? Well,
1: I'm not sure. Hopefully, it's
0: make uh, a record, man.
1: I want to hear a record. Maybe make a record, Josh. I'm not sure. It's it's. Uh, yeah, I'll probably make a record at some point. Um, um I don't know. I just want to keep getting better um, and keep doing what I'm doing, but keep improving it. That's the thing. I mean, that's honestly, I just want to keep getting better as a player, making videos, as a teacher, whatever. I just at everything that I'm doing as an engineer. um, That's, that's really my goal. It's not to, I don't need to wow anyone with anything. I just, uh, uh, you know, I, I gave up on that decades ago
0: yeah well that's a healthy attitude though i mean it's like and what's i mean what's more noble than just trying to be the best you can be every day and doing it because you just love it so much and you have to you know that's the best yeah
1: yeah i think i think that uh uh the the enjoyment i get from playing is just you know i i i feel bad for people that don't have that yeah uh, it's it's i mean you you know josh how, how much how fun it is it's, to play it's the best it's
0: the greatest feeling i mean since i was six years old i've had this friend that i could go in my room by myself but never feel alone and it was always there for me and it's still you know i feel the same now as i did when i was nine putting my headphones on and playing along to albert king or to the allman brothers or whatever it's like it, it, nothing has changed yeah yeah it is exactly. amazing well dude thank thank you for doing this man i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day again you're a massive inspiration on many fronts so i can't i just can't thank you enough
1: thank you Josh
0: appreciate it you're welcome man